Dear fellow redeemed, the last Sunday of the church year, today, and then next Sunday begins the season of Advent when everything up front here will be, will be blue, blue colors on the pyramids, blue um, stole on the pastor, and by the way, before I forget, one service next Sunday at 10.15 with the chili cook-off to follow. But we're not there yet. On this last Sunday of the church year, the Sunday that we celebrate as Christ the King Sunday, let your mind wander for just a moment. Why did we choose this reading from John chapter 18? Because there are dozens of other readings that could have been chosen to celebrate Christ our King Sunday. Let your mind wander for just a moment, and when you think about Christ as your king, the one who is victorious, the one who has conquered sin and death and the devil, what would you choose to highlight on Christ the King Sunday? You can go ahead and talk to the person sitting next to you. I'll give you about 30 seconds on that. What would you choose as a reading for Christ the King Sunday? Okay. When I prepare for a sermon like this, I typically don't sit down and discuss it very much with people ahead of time. So I had a similar conversation um, <laughs> kind of by myself. What would, what would I choose for Christ the King Sunday? And the first one that, that came to mind was of the man possessed by the legion of demons crying out, what do you want with us? Falling down in front of him, please don't torture us before the appointed time. Or perhaps, perhaps that reading of, um, from Philippians chapter 2, talking about before him every knee will bow. Though he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, he made himself nothing. Or maybe even something from the book of Revelation, where numerous times throughout the book, You've got basically the event of ascension (laughs) pictured like three different times throughout the book where Jesus enters into heaven having completed all of his work here on earth. And he enters into heaven and to the songs of the angels and the saints who are there right now. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wisdom and honor and glory and strength and praise. What would you choose? Because on Christ the King Sunday, out of all the choices in all of Scripture, we've got Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and immediately after today's reading from John chapter 18, Pilate trots him out to try to appease the crowd. He has had Jesus scourged and and clothed, not not with an earthly crown, but a crown of thorns. And with this this crimson, dark, crimson indigo-colored robe. 
And he says, here is your king. Who do you want me to release to you, the king of the Jews? Wow. I don't know about you, but I was almost, and probably for the last 15, 20 years of my life, when we've had Christ the King Sunday come up, I was expecting something a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more glory, maybe a little bit more power, maybe a little bit more of every knee will bow. And Jesus in the clouds of heaven, shining, and before whom, before whom all must close their eyes and recognize, I am sinful. How can I stand in the presence of holy God? But when we talk about Christ, our King, really there's no better image than Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Because when we talk about Christ as our King, we're not just talking about this one who is almighty and has all power. That was his possession from all eternity and for all eternity. But he refrained from using that for a while in order to take our place. That's the sort of king that we have. The sort of king, the sort of king who would give his word throughout the entire Old Testament and inscribe his word on your heart so that you, by nature, you know what God demands. The sort of king who appeared to Moses there at the burning bush and said, Moses, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Moses hid his face. The sort of king there at the top of Mount Sinai, making the mountain quake and shake with massive trumpet sounds and lightning and thunder and billows of smoke, he certainly has power. But that's a terrifying king. And you and I are rightly terrified by that king, the sort of king that we see pictured for us throughout Scripture, having all holiness and all authority. And all it does is reflect back to us how we have fallen short. We see God in his holiness, and we see the reflection of what we are not. That it's not just the, that one instance that I can explain away, and it just so happened that I said the wrong thing, or I thought the wrong thing, or I did the wrong deed. That sin in and of itself is something so totally ingrained within us and wrapped up as part of us that we can't stand before this holy God. And as much as we might like the idea of a glorious king and the picture of this glorious king in all holiness and all power, how much of that desire is tainted by the sinful flesh that says, well, if I'm on his side, then he'll give me a piece of that glory, rather than the recognition that if I stand before this holy God in all of his glory, boy... I can't do that on my own merit. And so Christ the King Sunday, we have Jesus pictured for us here on Good Friday. Good Friday morning after he's been up all night standing multiple trials and he is pictured there and Pilate says, here is your king. Behold the man. You are a king. Is that true? And what does Jesus say? 
Are you saying this on your own, or did others tell you about me? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. The fact that he's standing there on trial shows us the sort of good king that we have. Because you could probably dream up in your mind, um, or from literature, or from the movies, what a good king or a good queen would do and be like. That they would be gracious, that they would be kind, they would be just. All those things would be true. But a good king who sets aside his crown and hides his glory and steps in for you, steps in for me, who willingly places himself under God's judgment and wrath, the exchange of the Holy One in place of the sinful, in order to make you his own. We see Christ our King hiding his glory and humility so that he can defeat all of the enemies, defeat that enemy of sin within us, defeat the temptation from the devil outside of us, defeat the final judgment hammer of God in death. And he did those things. That our king, yes, he is good and he is gracious, and not just because he is holy, but because he has stood in for you and for me. He took your place and mine to say, Dear Christian, you are a member of this kingdom. And the contrast between Christ and his kingdom and every other authority, power, and kingdom couldn't be more stark than Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Here's Pontius Pilate, the local governor for one of the greatest empires, at least human empires of all time. And he doesn't even know what Jesus is talking about. What is truth, he would ask. Are you the king of the Jews? What is your kingdom like? And Jesus stands there and he says, Dear Christian, that he stood there for you to make you a member of his kingdom, to buy you back from sin and death and the devil, to defeat every temptation, to defeat even death itself, when he basically, yeah, kicked the door off the grave so that it would never, never hold anybody again. And he has made you a member of his kingdom, and he extends this ruling activity through his voice. That's exactly what he says at the end of verse 37. Everyone belongs, who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth, and truth is found in this voice of Jesus. And that's the other thing, that, that this kingdom of Christ isn't a, a specific um, regional location. It's not just something that happened long ago on the other side of the world, you know, like the Roman Empire. It's something that continues today. It's something that you are a member of, and really there's only one kingdom of Christ. There's only one holy Christian church. One holy Christian church. Part of it right now in glory, what we call the church triumphant, and the other part of it right now here on earth the church militant, 
the church that has to fight against temptation. One church with Christ as king over them all, one church that is guided and guarded by his word, that is fed by his body and blood, and that is promised, promised that his death and resurrection means your robe of righteousness, and the promise that his voice has brought you into this church and that his voice will continue to keep you in this church and that his voice is what extends the ruling activity of his church, his kingdom. And so we have to talk about that just a little bit more, that there's one kingdom, and I I like an oval that's kind of an up-and-down oval because we can talk about the church triumphant, those who are in heaven right now, that we talked about a little bit last week, those Christians who have passed away ahead of us, who are sleeping with their earthly physical remains here, and they themselves before God in righteousness and purity forever, singing his praise. And we, members of that same church, united in that same faith, gathering here with the ruling activity of Christ continuing to extend through his word, the ruling activity of Christ as he gathers his people to be fed with his, with his sacrament. There's one church, exactly as we talked about even in the, uh, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy, and Christ, holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And that there's one church. And that, yes, on this side of heaven, we in the church militant, we have something that we call a confession of faith to say what we believe and what we don't believe because we recognize that there will be those who would try to use false teaching and, and improper doctrine to pull people away from Christ and to take the attention away from our king. That's all that false doctrine does. It takes the glory away from Christ and takes the comfort away from Christians. And so Christians, we are gathered by the voice of truth the voice of our our King Jesus in his word. We are sustained by his meal here in the Lord's Supper as members of the same Christian church. And we can rejoice in the fact that even as we live in this, this church militant, even as we live during our time here on earth, having to struggle against sin and temptation and eventually one day our own death, or at least our own sleep. Even though we live in this world of sin and death and pain, we can still rejoice that our king continues to gather his church. Or to put it another way, our king continues to extend his ruling activity to the hearts of more. And this side of heaven, we want to be clear about what we believe and what we don't believe so that we don't take away the glory from Christ or take away the comfort from Christians. And so we, out of necessity, we don't work and worship along with those who have a different confession of faith. But instead, we go back to the voice of truth, the voice of Jesus in his word, to say, here is the truth. And can we establish some fellowship together, some unity and some oneness here, so that in some somewhat more minimal, perhaps, but visible way, 
in some sort of visible way, we can all join together in the same confession as members of the same church and united in, in faith and belief by the same Jesus. Because that's what Christ our King wants to do. We even pray about it in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, Thy kingdom come. And that's really a prayer that Jesus would extend his ruling activity to the hearts of more. It's a prayer that Jesus would bring more people into his church, that he would lead more people to the certainty of the Word of God and to the comfort that only belongs to the Christian church. Thy kingdom come. Also a prayer for that day when the church triumphant and the church militant will be visibly reunited for all eternity and Christ visibly the king of where he is spiritually the king right now. Because that's the thing. On Christ the King Sunday, Jesus before Pontius Pilate, we see that, that Christ hides his ruling activity in humility and in weakness, in that apparent display of powerlessness where he allows himself to be pinned to a tree. Christ our King went to suffer death and to free you and me from the horror of our sin and to promise you and me a resurrection and a reunion with him forever. But until then, until he takes us there, our proclamation is still the same. It's the same on Christ the King Sunday as on Easter Sunday as on Christmas Sunday that Jesus has come for you and for me, that Jesus Christ, God from all eternity, became human, exactly like you and me except without sin, and in his case, without a human daddy, that he became human with a human, human body and mind and a human will, and he refrained from sin so that he could be the innocent sacrifice. So that you could say, this is my king. This is my good and gracious king. Not just that he is good and gracious and holy and almighty and just, but that he took my place. And that means certainty. This was highlighted for me this past week. Maybe some of you saw it on Facebook. Um, when I had to go to a dentist. <laughs> and our regular dentist was scheduled quite far in advance because he can only have so many patients in his facility at a time. And um, I went with the recommendation of a friend over to a dentist over that way somewhere. <laughs> if you want the name, you can talk to me after church. And I walked into the dentist's office, and I'm looking around, and, uh, and I kind of chuckled to myself. Um, because, you know, as a pastor's family, we, we've got a, a good deal of Christian art kind of sprinkled throughout our home. <laughs> and I'm looking around, and I sit down, and, and there's a couple of pieces of Christian art there on, his, uh, on the wall in the waiting room. And I get taken back to the, the place where I would have that, that little bit of drill and fill done. And, um, and I see this other picture of Christ that's actually one of my favorites. Um, and it's it was within the last decade that it was made. And, um, and so I sit there, and I'm waiting, and, and he's looking around, and we're carrying on a conversation. Dentists have this incredible ability to understand you, even with, you know, you've got like three cotton things and two other implements in your mouth. <laughs> 
that all it takes is a little grunt and, and, and change the tone. And he's like, oh, you're a pastor at a church. Okay. <laughs> and he says, well, which church? And, um, and I won't say how I said it, but what I said was resurrection in Maumee over by you know, 475 and airport. And it's obvious, both from the recommendation and from the artwork throughout his office, that this man is a Christian man. And he says to me, so Pastor Hagen, what does your congregation do to help the needy? I like to support organizations and, and churches that help the needy, especially you know this time of year around the holidays. And I said, oh, right now, um, one of our members is organizing Christmas or Thanksgiving baskets for, for people in need or for people who would really benefit from them, and then we'll do something else when it comes closer to Christmas time. And uh, he says, all right, just give me a minute. I got to go talk to the ladies at the front desk. And he comes back, and he's like, make sure you take this when you leave. And he places a check on the counter. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, it was more like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we, we get done, and I collect my things, and then I look at the check, and, and it's kind of a blur until I got out to my car, right? Because what I talked about last week was that, you know, pastors generally don't cry in public. We cry to our windshield. <laughs> at least that's the hope. And I sat there for a good eight or ten minutes, like, this man gave me far more, even on a monetary version, monetary value, he gave me far more than, than I paid in services today. And he did so simply because he heard that our church tries to live out their faith by serving those nearby. He did so prompted by, as far as I could tell, he did so prompted by the reality that, that Christ is king, that Christ is his substitute, that Christ, yes, will come again. And we think about that. That just like the kingdom of Christ, it doesn't make sense from a human perspective. From a human perspective, Pilate holds all the cards and has all the authority and all the power, and Jesus is that helpless Jewish man pinned to a cross right before Passover. From a human perspective brought from an eternal, spiritual perspective. There we see Christ our King, dying so that you would live, suffering hell so you would have heaven, being laid in the tomb so you can have a resurrection. And even today, Christ our King, extending his ruling activity in the hearts of believers so that even that man that I just met, you know, 10 minutes previously said, how, how can I support this? How can I support a little bit of this congregation trying to serve Christ our King and serve those in their community as Christ would serve them? That's why we're here. To proclaim the truth of the voice of Christ in his word so that the ruling activity of Christ would extend now into the hearts of people so that they would join us and look forward to that day when Christ our King will make his ruling activity, that spiritual activity, when he will make that spiritual activity visible to all. Amen. <laughs>